hope everybody's having a great week. It's Friday, and my name is Christian Wagner, and this is Disputed Questions. So this week's topic is going to be about transubstantiation. Now, this is going to be a very difficult one to understand because the doctrine itself isn't really understood, and you get a lot of misunderstanding among Catholics and Protestants alike exactly what transubstantiation is. Now, when I get into the respondeo, I'll get into the uh, nitty-gritty of what exactly transubstantiation means, the Aristotelian Thomistic categories that are being posited, the arguments brought forth about it. It's going to be about something called the separability and the inherence of the accidents. And now that sounds a little bit complicated, but you really need to understand this if you're ever going to step into the ring uh, in, in a debate about this. And now what I want each and every one of you to do right now is to not not do not whatever you do argue about transubstantiation unless you've read thomas at least in the summa i think it's in the supplementum or it's in tertia pars uh, just read it understand it and really digest exactly what thomas is saying read some good books by some good authors uh, talking about transubstantiation because most people who are going to argue about it are going to throw straw men all day, and they're going to have some very terrible arguments. And the reason that I named this uh, the one good argument against transubstantiation isn't because that this is the only argument against transubstantiation. There's there's a lot of them which are brought forth uh, among the Reformed and among some of the late medievals who are debating this topic before the Council of Trent kind of puts a knife in it. But the reason is, is a lot of these arguments brought forth aren't going to be killer arguments. They're going to be kind of arguments where it might be that, it might be this. It could be interpreted in both ways and either or. But this is really going to be something which makes the doctrine as defined by Thomas, as received by the Fourth Lateran Council, and as received by Trent, this is really going to stick a knife in it and make it absolutely impossible uh, metaphysically that this doctrine is being brought forth. I mean, one only needs to really go to uh, some of the most popular pages and uh, blogs who are writing things against transubstantiation. I just read one last night to kind of get some of these bad arguments. And I mean, there's going to be the you're a cannibal argument. It's just terrible that you're eating physical flesh. There's going to be the argument, well, Jesus Christ says, I'm a door, obviously speaking symbolically. It's going to go into Tertullian or some of the uh, early church fathers and say, well, they use the word symbol, therefore they mean the uh, symbolic view of some of the uh, post-Princetonian evangelicals and some argue Zwingli. And these are some really terrible arguments, and you're going to get terrible arguments all around. And I'm just exhorting you to just not, to just stop. Just stop with these terrible arguments. Just read Thomas for as he is. Just get good arguments. Read uh, Vermigli, read Cranmer, read uh, even Calvin, read the read Turretin, read the, the Reformed Scholastics and the Lutheran Scholastics when they're writing against uh, transubstantiation. Some of these really good divines that are going to understand and quote Thomas on a multiplicity of topics. Like, for example, you, I was just reading John Davenant. And John Davenant's quoting Thomas all the time. It, it is specific, um, specifically about 
predestination, not about transubstantiation. But these authors are actually reading Thomas. They're going beyond the Summa. They're reading his uh, commentary on the sentences. They're reading his various disputations. They're reading his commentaries on Scripture. These people actually know Thomas, and they're actually bringing forth good arguments against it. And I've done a video with uh, New Kingdom Media. I did an interview with River uh, from there. Uh, I'll link it in the description below. It's a good discussion. And I mean, there's a few things where I slipped up on because I mean, when you're in an interview like that, there's only going to be things that you said in the moment that you kind of regret. But in the most part, I hold to exactly what I said there. And I think that's a good uh, overview of the doctrine, and especially as it relates to Anglicanism, but anybody is going to be able to find that helpful. And now, to people that are watching this that are Roman Catholic, I want you to understand the doctrine of your church better, and I don't want this to be the only reason why you're going to just watch this video, a 30-40 minute video, and just jump out and swim the Bosphorus or swim the English Canal and become Anglican or become Eastern Orthodox or become whatever and leave your church. I want you to do a lot of research on this. I want you to talk to learned people. I want you to talk to theologians and your priest and all this stuff. I'm just a guy on the internet who are who's making videos. Don't make major life decisions based on what I'm saying because although this is something to think about, I am by no means a uh, professional theologian. I'm by no means especially a philosopher. And these are going to get some into some very deep metaphysical issues. So that's just kind of a preface to the uh, to this whole video because it's it's going to be a very interesting video. I've done a lot of research over this the past few weeks. I've been thinking about this uh, the past few months as I've been thinking through the issues between the uh, the Anglican Church and the Roman Catholic Church. So this is some things that are very important to me, and it's going to be things that I that, that actually have real implications on my life and uh, my theology. So I've thought about these things a lot. I've uh, read about these things a lot. But again, I'm not a professional theologian. I I could make mistakes, and very likely I'm going to make mistakes. But all I can promise you is that I've read the sources and I'm bringing forth some of the best arguments. I've read Dietrich, I've read Thomas, I've read uh, Scotus, I've read uh, Wycliffe, I've read Vermigli, I've read all of these guys who are arguing about the topic of transubstantiation and I've emailed back and forth with Roman Catholic theologians, with Reformed theologians, and I've, I've got a pretty good grasp on this issue, and this has been something that's been central in my personal research about theology, and I've written about it. I'll link uh, an article I wrote about, I believe I wrote an article about transubstantiation. I'm not sure, maybe I just did the video. No, I did do, I did do two articles about it, I think, uh, responding to River, which led to the, which led to the video interview that I had with him. So don't take my word for it. Uh, talk to learned people, especially read the scholastics. Don't just go on the Catholic Answers and uh, look at Trent Horn. Not that Trent Horn's bad, or uh, or Jimmy Aiken or any of these guys, because they're not they're they're not going to be trained in the scholastics. They're not going to be trained to uh, to be very specific 
and very uh, learned on these metaphysical and uh, scholastic distinctions that are being made by Thomas, that are being made by uh, the Reformed scholastics, that are being made by these guys and the issues debated. And these are some very deep uh, and very uh, difficult issues to grasp and to discuss. And I'm just contributing a, a very important point in my personal research that I have found. So let's get started. And the, the question is going to be whether uh, the accidents may inhere without a, without a subject, without a substance, rather. So to the contrary, Aristotle writes, An accident is something which, though it is none of the foregoing, i.e. neither a definition, nor a property, nor a genus, yet belongs to the thing, and something which may either belong or not belong to any one and the self-same thing, as being seated may belong or not belong to the self-same thing. Likewise, also whiteness, for there is nothing to prevent the same thing being at one time white and at another not white. Being seated is an accident, but will be a temporary property. Whenever a man is the only person sitting, while if he is not the only one sitting, it is still a property relatively relative to those who are not sitting. So then there is nothing to prevent an accident from becoming both a relative and a temporary property, but a property absolutely it will never be. So what Aristotle's getting at is that a, uh, an accident is an accident of something. It's an accident of a certain substance, and that goes against uh, the Thomistic view of the separability of the accidents, which I'll get into for a second in a second. So for the respondeo, now I'm going to start with a general overview of exactly what transubstantiation is because people are woefully ignorant, even Roman Catholics, on what exactly it means by trans, what exactly transubstantiation means. So first you have the host, the bread. I'm going to just start with, I'm not going to discuss the wine because that'll, I don't, I don't feel like saying bread and wine over and over again. So you have the bread. It has the substance or the underlying uh, isness or whatness, the quiddity, the, uh, the fundamentalness, to put it in a certain way, the substance of bread. So that this isn't referring to the physical components of it, but it's referring to the underlying metaphysical reality of bread, like the, these post-it notes. It has the underlying... Uh, thingness or whatness or isness of post-it noteness. And now the accidents. The the accidents of the host is that it's it may be white, it may be thin, it may be in the hand of the priest, it may be this or that, those different properties or attributes that something has. Those are the accidents. And the accidents are changeable and the accidents are the accidents of the substance. So, for example, if you think about a person, every seven years, every single cell in a person's body is going to be replaced. Every single cell gets new material. Now, are you the same person before and after all of your cells get replaced? Obviously, yes. If you have somebody who commits murder, they can't seven years later say, well, all my material in my body is different and I'm a different person now because I am not sharing in any of the material that murdered that person. Therefore, I'm not guilty. Everybody recognizes that there's the underlying substance of that person. So I'm Christian. That's my name. I, that is my substance. 
I am a person. I'm a rational animal. And my material from when I was uh, 13, seven years ago, is different from now. My material has completely been replaced by new material. So even though my accidental qualities have gotten taller, I've gotten bigger, I've gotten, my hair's gotten longer, things like that, those things have been replaced, but those are accidental qualities that have switched. And, and those aren't essential to my being Christian, my Christianness. Those things have changed, but uh, my substance has remained the same. So what happens if we go back to the host with the substance of bread and the accidents of bread? What happens is there's a transubstantiation. So the substance of bread changes. And the substance of the, of the host changes to the substance of the body of Christ. So you have the substance transform. Now what happens to the accidents? So the way that a lot of people are going to think about this is the accidents still remain the accidents of the host. So Christ now, in his substance of the host changing, now has the accidents of being white, being thin, being in the priest's hand, having this much or that much uh, quantity or weight or mass, having this size and stuff like that. But that's not actually how Thomas or the Fourth Lateran Council or Trent is going to talk about it. They say that the accidents inhere in nothing. So it's, the, it's just pure accidents. The substance of Christ's body has no accidents, and the accidents of the host have no substance. Because if you think about it, it would be impious to say that Christ could be chewed, or that Christ could, uh, ha could, Christ could mold, or Christ could anything like that. Because the underlying metaphysical reality is not of the bread. The, it's just the appearances or species of bread which are inhering in nothing. So it's the accidents of nothing. It's just the appearances of bread with no substance to it. And they'll say that they inhere by divine power. That's the way that it's, it's a miracle. That's the way that it's explained. So you have these accidents which are, for lack of a better term, floating. They don't have any substance. And this is where the debate is going to come down to. This is where my uh, objections are going to come down to. And the main argument is that it is impossible for accidents to have no substance because it is essential to the nature of an accident to have a substance. So let's think a little bit more about the relation of a substance to an accident. So when you look at what an accident is, an accident is the way in which a substance relates to the world. It is a substance acting to the world, a substance appearing to the world. Because a substance has no visibility, a substance has no mass, a substance is an underlying metaphysical reality, the isness of a thing, therefore it doesn't have all of these properties. Now, the way in which a substance becomes present to the world and the way in which a substance acts upon the world or is related to the world is going to be through accidents. So there, these two are inextricably connected. Accidents aren't really a thing. If you think about it, the thing is the substance and the accident related to one another. That is the, the thing. So you can't separate the two and separate accidents out and say they have no substance because then you have an what well, you have it is an accident which is the accident of nothing 
You have attributes, you have mere attributes just floating around. And that is a very clear contradiction to what exactly an accident is. So if you think about it this way, I'll, I'll simplify it for you a bit. So let's say that the sentence, I love a book. I love a book. That is the sentence. Now let's say that you uh, you had my I love a bookness. You have that action. You have that hold. And you remove I from it. So it's just love book. So it's my love for a book, but I'm not the actor of my love for a book. Now that's clearly uh, a contradictory and clearly a absurd statement to say that my love for a book is separated from me. That I love a book, but I am not existent. I'm not connected to my own love for a book. And this is what's going on with the, uh, with the doctrine of transubstantiation and the relationship between accidents and the thing in hearing. It inheres by divine power. So the, what they're saying is that my love for a book is in hearing by divine power. So my love for a book is being upheld by divine power, but I don't actually exist anymore. And, and this is clearly um, a contradiction on, on terms, and it's clearly an absurdity. That could not metaphysically happen, that my love for a book is separated from I. And now, in order to get out of this, some may say, well, the appearance is just recreated. Because if you have, because love for a book can separate, can be separated from I, so there can be, because God is love, and God may produce certain love without producing a certain subject to love. But this is against the doctrine of transubstantiation as defined by Trent and as by the Fourth Lateran Council and as explicated by Thomas. What you have here is you have a heresy being brought forth in order to justify something which is absurd. And that is not allowed. You can't, you're not allowed to work on that that way of doing theology. You can't say, okay, this is the infallibly defined dogmatic definition from Trent or from the Fourth Lateran Council, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to differ from that, and I'm going to do my own thing and have my own justifications that are against that doctrine just because I've run to a difficult spot and there is now an absurdity. So you cannot do that. So, uh, this predication that I keep talking about, the predication of the accidents of a substance, is called a per-accidents per predication. So uh, if you talk about my uh, hair, I am the accidents of my hair, well, at least the color of my hair, is being predicated to the substance of me. So what you have is with the accidents being separated from the substance and floating in midair, you have... Uh, there's no per accidents uh, predication. You can't say that it's this bread or this appearance of bread because there's no breadiness. You can't say they're really just floating attributes without anything that it's a thing of. And it's just, you run into these just metaphysical absurdities and it becomes impossible to hold this doctrine because it is clearly against reason. And we'll get into uh, the relationship between reason and the power of God later in the objections. But you can see through this brief overview that it is impossible to really hold this doctrine metaphysically. So if there's no subject 
of, of predication. You can't predicate something to something that does not exist because you're saying that it's the, uh, the whiteness of the host. Like, let's say the host is white. The whiteness of the host. Well, there's no substance to the host. There's really no host. There's only whiteness. There's only accidents. There's only whiteness. There's only uh, bread, uh, corruptibility. There's only the possibility to mold. There's only the, uh, the certain quantity. But there's no thing in which it's being attributed to. So it's really nothing. You're saying it's something, but it's also nothing. It's something in that it's appearances, but it's also nothing in that it has no substance. So it's it, it you it's almost impossible for me to even even talk about this because uh, because of how metaphysically absurd and contradictory that this becomes when you talk about having accidents with no substance. So when you have uh, a substance and an accidents, we say that they are uh, co-natural. That's the term that is used. So when you have a substance, when you have an accident, they come together. There's no way to separate that. When you have the substance of breadiness, you also have the appearances of breadiness come with it. And that's pretty intuitive to us. When we think about things, we don't think about, about them. Uh, we, we can think about them abstractly. That's what we're doing when we have the, uh, the idea of substance and accents. We're abstracting these two, um, these two attributes of a certain thing. But they're co-natural. They always come together. You can't just separate them out. You can't just rip them apart and then say, okay, I'm just going to have the accidents here. No, when you think about a thing, the substance of it and the accidents of it are always going to come together. When you have a thing, when you have the appearance of a thing, the appearance of the thing always comes with a thing. The appearance of a thing always comes with a substance. You can never think about the appearance of a thing coming without the thing itself. It is, uh, it's just absurd to even think that way. So, and this is a... Uh, and this may seem to be uh, very trifling or me just focusing on these various small points of theology that don't really matter. But really what you're going to see is that this doctrine of the separability of the accidents destroys the very foundations of metaphysics. It destroys the very foundations of Thomas's and Aristotle's metaphysical project in order to describe reality. For the distinction between substance and accident, if the distinction of substance and accidents are destroyed, then you have a ripping apart of reality in the, uh, in the metaphysical thought of Thomas and Aristotle. And I'm, I'm glad that Thomas didn't really uh, take his views on this to its logical conclusion because it would have been very deadly. It's, uh, it's a blessing that Thomas is inconsistent so he can still use his metaphysics and we can still use his philosophy uh, as a whole. But, um, but to affirm this and then to apply it rigidly to the rest of your philosophy is going to be deadly. So, uh, what you have going back to the idea of expression. So we're speaking about substance and accident on these very different, uh, on these various different ways of speaking about them on, because it is a, an abstract metaphysical concept. So you're going to have these uh, different ways in which you can express and describe them in order to get the holistic picture of what a substance and an accident is. So the idea of an expression, so the accidents of something, so like this, the post-it notes, the accidents of it, the blueness or the size or the location or abilities, are an expression of the underlying substance of it. So the blueness is an, 
of is an expression of the substance to the world. So what transubstantiation is positing is that you have the expressions of something without the thing expressed. So it's an expression of nothing. It's, it's an expression of nothing. There's no thing expressed. So it's really just impossible for us to even wrap our minds around because it's just metaphysically impossible. You can't have an expression without a thing expressed. If you're going to express something, then you have to have an expression a thing expressed in which it's expressing it's when we're just talking about language it just breaks down when we even think about this concept our minds just kind of melt when we think about it so the metaphysical priority of substance is completely destroyed and accents go from an externalization or an expression of substance to having a native quiddity or thingness of themselves so what you have is you get into accidents really having substances of themselves there is no distinction between what an accident is and what a substance is because if accidents can have expressions of themselves and by themselves through divine power nonetheless it doesn't matter then they have a quiddity they have a thingness they uh they become things of themselves rather than expressions of things you have no distinction between a thing and an accident accidents completely lose what even an accident means it becomes impossible to even distinguish between a substance and an accident and a thing because accidents have thingness of themselves because they can be separated from their substance and be native expressions of their own. They're not just expressions of a thing. They're expressions of themselves, which makes it a thing and just makes no distinction between a thing and an accident. Like, why do you even need substance if you're going to, uh, if you're going to posit this? It's, it's just impossible. So the distinction between substance and accident is a prime, what's called a primary division of being. It's universal and nothing in the order of things cannot be divided into such. So beings are beings in act. There's no such thing as a pure potency. In the same way, accidents must be expressions of substances. They cannot be expressions of anything else but substances. So an accident is going to depend essentially on a substance for its existence. It cannot depend on itself. This dependence is of the same order as that which is found between formal cause and material cause. For substance is, as it were, the matter of accidents. Hence, for any accident that actually exists, there is required the simultaneous existence of another being namely that in which the accident is, that is, the substance. If this order is not something substantial, but on the contrary an accident, then a third being is formed. And that's what I keep talking about. There is that third being which is formed. You have substance, you have accident, then you have to have something else which the accidents adhere to, and it's a third thing. And therefore, the accidents aren't inhering in nothing, but the accidents are inhering in something. But there cannot be a regress to infinity, both because there would be, at the same time, an infinite number and because dependence in an essential order ends in some independent being in the same order. Hence, every effect demands an ultimate being. Because if you think about it, what an accident is, is an accident is an effect of substance. An accident is reliant on substance. So, in order to have that effect of accident, you have to have its cause. And you can't just take the cause and make the cause something else, there must be a recreation. So what is going to happen is that in transubstantiation, there must be either the divine power, which is uh, 
affecting a completely new set of appearances which are being glazed over the substance of Christ. You have these appearances being made and there's a complete recreation of the accidents or you're going to have complete absurdity. There's absolutely no way around it. You can't have this doctrine and keep an orthodox and a coherent metaphysics. It is impossible. So a thing in matter requires eventually a being not in matter, namely prime matter. Likewise, a being in another, or to which existing in another being, involves a being not in another, or to which existing in itself it belongs. So that's kind of the uh, overview. I think I've belabored the point over these last 20 minutes that this is just completely impossible metaphysically. But there's going to be uh, some replies. There's going to be some uh, objections which are brought forth by Thomas and by other philosophers such as Scotus and Bonaventure, which are going to be brought against an argument that I am, uh, I'm bringing forth. So these, these guys weren't dumb. They realized that they were open to this attack that I'm bringing forth, so they decided to bring up some uh, justifications for what they're saying, how it isn't metaphysically impossible. So the first objection to what I'm saying is going to be that God is omnipotent, therefore he may overturn nature. So God has all power, therefore it doesn't matter the what an accident is to God. God can make an accident whatever he wants it to be. But this really just, just begs the question. The question is whether it's impossible or possible. God can do anything which is possible, which is logically coherent. Omnipotence doesn't mean per se that God can do anything that he wants. It means that God can do anything which is possible, which does not contradict nature. It doesn't contradict reality. It isn't logically coherent. Like God cannot make a, a square circle. That's a classical example. God can't make a square circle. So that would be an example of overturning nature. So really what you have to do is you have to justify that it's something which is possible in order to say that God can do it. And as I've shown so far, it, to have an accident which doesn't adhere in a substance is a, very con is a contradiction on the very definition of an accident. Therefore, it is not possible. It's impossible. Therefore, it's not going to work out. And, uh, and this is... Uh, also against the principle, the classical principle, and uh, Thomas brings this up, it's against the idea of the multiplying of miracles. So uh, if in theology, if you just keep multiplying miracles to justify one of your doctrines, every time you run into a, uh, run into a dead end and say, well, this is not possible in the natural order, you just say, well, it's a miracle. That is a bad theological principle, and the fathers in the medievals and Augustine, this comes from Augustine, he was against the idea that you can just keep endlessly multiplying miracles every time you run into a problem. Because the more times you multiply miracles, the more chance that it's going to be false. So uh, and then also from St. Augustine, St. Augustine argues that we ought not to uh, interpret scripture in the light of an absurdity. So if you're interpreting scripture and it results in an absurdity, something which is impossible to the natural order or the supernatural order, which involves a contradiction, then you're interpreting scripture in the wrong way. You ought to change your interpretation of scripture because scripture is not unreasonable. Scripture is reasonable, therefore you cannot go against reason in your interpretation of scripture. God 
created the world, God does not destroy and contradict what he has created in the order which he has made. So uh, an example of this is going to be St. Augustine's interpretation of Genesis, but that's not too important. So a second objection is that the Book of Causes, which was a very important uh, book of metaphysics, uh, when it refers to the four uh, kinds of causality, it states that the first cause makes a more vehement impression on what is caused by a second cause than the second cause itself. So God is the first cause of the existence of accidents. The first cause is more forceful than the second cause, which is substance. Therefore, God can act as a second cause, upholding the accident. So Thomas, and this is really one of Thomas's bread and butter objections to what I'm saying. So throughout his uh, throughout his career, in uh, in his commentary on the sentences, I believe, in his disputed questions, in the Summa, and I believe in the Summa Contra Gentiles too, he just brings up this objection over and over again. The Book of Causes states this, that God can affect a more powerful thing than the second cause can, which is substance. Therefore, God may play the part of substance because he has a more vehement and more powerful expression anyways. So there's three reasons to reject this interpretation of the Book of Causes. So Thomas takes the Book of Causes out of context, and this is not what the Book of Causes is saying. So first, the author is only speaking of causes which are the same genus. So in this, you can't mix material and efficient or formal and uh, final. You, you can't mix these types of causes. God is the efficient cause. Substance is the material cause of the inherence of accidents. So that is an example of mixing causes. So second, the author is only speaking of the removal of the form of life, wherein there's a retention of the form of being. But in this case, after the removal of the form of life, the thing remaining is not the same thing as was instantly constituted. That is, a dead person is no longer a person in the promised sense, in the proper sense. So Thomas is arguing almost the exact opposite of this, because he is saying that after the removal of the second cause, that it is really the same thing. It is accidents before and accidents after. But that's not what the book of causes is talking about. So third, he argues that if something by its essence According to the notion of its quiddity, so its whatness, intrinsically depends on some principle, then to say that a thing exists apart from such principle is to fall into contradiction. So he further argues just the opposite from other authorities. He's arguing that God has ordered nature to work through intermediaries from higher to lower causes, as is seen in, as is seen in Dionysius and other Neoplatonists. This is Dionysus' the entire premise of the celestial and ecclesial hierarchy. And Thomas is arguing almost the exact opposite of this, that God is not using intermediaries. So if you just read the Book of Causes in context, this section, you're going to see that Thomas is playing a tricky on us. He is really pulling the wool over our eyes, and he not, I don't think it's intentionally, I don't want to impute any malice to Thomas. He was, a, he was an eminent saint. I have his icon on my wall up there. I, I love Thomas, but uh, but this is really just a very bad take, which is coming from Thomas. So further, Francis Turretin is going to say, it is different with a material and a formal cause, which God cannot supply because he cannot perform the office of a subject to which it belongs to receive in itself an essential or accidental form because he is in the highest degree simple and most perfect. Hence, although God can make accidents with their subjects, it does not follow in like manner that he can also produce the former without the latter from the incompatibility 
of the thing. So God can play the efficient cause. He can create, but he cannot play the, uh, the part of a material cause. That doesn't make any sense because the material cause is the thing in which a th a another thing is placed. The, uh, the thing in which it's made out of. So the classical example is a statue is made out of stone. The stone is the material cause of the statue. So God cannot play the material cause of the inherence of an accident. God just can't do it. He's most simple, and he cannot take upon himself uh, accidents. That, that's just impossible, and that's going to contradict an orthodox doctrine of God. So the third objection is going to be God's creation of accidents ex nihilo, was a created manifestation of his powers, was a greater manifestation of his powers than sustaining something already created. Therefore, he could. So God created out of nothing, and this creation is a greater manifestation than just sustaining what he created. So while this is true, it, it really begs the question. It, uh, you're going to get this over and over again with all of these objections. Is In order for these objections to follow, it would have to be something which is possible. But since we have argued that it's impossible, it really isn't going isn't gonna to dig against what I'm arguing here and what the tradition has argued back to the 13th century. There's people arguing what I'm saying. This isn't just a weird Protestant thing. If anything, the, the Protestant arguments are a weak version of the, uh, of the earlier medieval arguments against the separability of the accidents that Thomas is bringing forth, which you get from the 13th century all the way to the 16th century. And I haven't researched anything earlier than the 13th century, but I'm sure if I was looking, I've, I've heard that it at least goes back to the 9th century, that uh, this argument about the separability of accidents is being brought forth. But I would have to check on that. That sounds a little fishy to me. But at least the 13th to the 16th, this isn't just a weird Protestant thing. So it's begging the question. So like if you said, God created triangles out of nothing. True, God created triangles. But does that mean that he could create triangles with two sides? Of course not. It does not mean that God create, could create triangles with two sides because this would be a contradiction on the very uh, quiddity, the very whatness of, of a thing is. It would just be a contradiction. Therefore, this objection does not follow. So the fourth objection is that God may go above the ordering of nature by grace, as he often does. While this is true, God goes above the ordering of uh, of nature by grace. Grace perfects nature. Grace brings nature to its telos and it raises up nature. But what you're positing here is that grace is destroying nature. And uh, that, that is against the principle of what grace is. Grace takes the human, which is a creation, and divinizes it, it by participation in divinity. That is what grace does. Grace does not destroy our bodies and make us into uh, some ethereal, uh, angelic uh, being. Without bodies, grace perfects our bodies and brings it to its telos. And in the same way, this is actually an argument for, uh, for the more reformed side of the Eucharist. Grace is perfecting bread. Grace is bringing bread to its ultimate telos as the body of Christ in order to divinize us. Grace is perfecting something without destroying it. Grace is not destroying the substance of bread. Grace is retaining it and, uh, and I guess you could say, hypostasizing the substance of Christ with it and attaching it. There's a union by which you participate in the divine nature. 
That is what ha is happening. It's a perfection of nature, not a destruction of nature. So really, Thomas is, uh, again, being inconsistent with the larger project of his theology. There isn't a destruction. There's a perfection that's going on by grace. So the fifth objection is that an accident is actually a thing which is owed another, is owed being in another. With this definition or redefinition, there is no contradiction. Although the normal definition describes the natural course of things, it does not express the real quiddity or thingness of the thing. Thus, it is less of a redefinition and more of a precise definition. It switches from a description of the mode of being to the precise definition of the quiddity of a thing. So now we have to go into what the nature of a definition is because Thomas has brought forth this objection to saying he's not redefining what an accident is. He's actually being more precise because when we say an accident inheres in a substance and that's what an accident is, he's saying that only describes the mode in which we normally uh, encounter accidents. He's saying the real quiddity, the real wetness of an accident is, is the accident doesn't inhere by itself. Because in the Thomistic view of uh, transubstantiation, you have the accidents inhering by divine power. And that's not inhering in itself, that's inhering in another. Therefore, it's still in line with a traditional definition of uh, what an accident is. It's just a better and more precise definition. That's what Thomas is saying. So now we have to think a little bit about the nature of a definition. So a definition is a definition insofar as a being is an act which follows from a ratio, ratio, so a, uh, an intellectual conception of their essence. If not a ratio of their essence, but merely an animation of said ratio, then it could not be a definition of the thing, but a definition of the animation of the ratio. So um, when you're looking at what a, a definition is, a definition is... Um, is it's going to be the quiddity is going to be the uh, the conception of the whatness of a thing. So uh, so if you have the uh, if you have a definition which isn't the whatness of a thing, but it's an animation of the whatness of a thing, then you don't really have the definition. You have a definition of the animation of the whatness. So uh, and these are going to be two completely different definitions. So Thomas's redefinition of accident is so deadly that uh, that he's changing the nature of a, of what even a definition is. In this, the intelligibility of our universe is destroyed when animation and rationes of essences are equated, and mere appearance and the appearance of a thing are said to be the same. So. Uh, so what, what you have in Thomas's definition, changing is a change from the appearance of a thing to a mere appearance. You, uh, and you have the, the idea of an animation or the, uh, the act of a thing is defining what the thing is. So really what Thomas is doing is Thomas isn't providing a more precise or more general definition. He's actually restricting the definition. And he's changing it to just the part of it about an animation. It's being uh, too too broad. So it's like a human. Uh, the traditional definition of a human is a rational animal. That's what a human is. So if you change the definition in order to widen the scope to just uh, an animal with the appearance of being rational, then that's different than a rational animal. You are fundamentally 
changing what a human being is. And Thomas is doing the same thing with an accent. He's fundamentally changing from the quiddity, from the ratio of a thing to an appearance, or really the ratio of a ratio of a thing. It, it is really, uh, it gets really complicated at this point. So the sixth uh, objection is going to be dimensive quantity. So the spatial expression of a certain substance can act as the subject of certain accidents. So this is going to be something that uh, Thomas brings over and over again. So what you have is you have the substance, and then uh, then you have the dimensive quantity. So the uh, the stuff, the material of it. So you have the substance, the material inhering in the substance. Then you have the accident, the other accidents like the color, the uh, the size, I mean, not the size, that's a dimensive quantity, the, uh, I don't know, the, the location and stuff. You have those things inhering in the material or the dimensive quantity of the, uh, of the substance. So you have a threefold system rather than a twofold system, and Thomas is saying that this is possible. So uh, you, this is really um, bad. I'll just, I'll just put it like that. It, this is really bad because what you have now is you have a complete redefinition, again, of what an accident is. You you cannot really uh, narrow down to what Thomas is thinking of an accident as. He's kind of just throwing these arguments out and seeing which ones stick. Is that that's the, um, that's the expression that I'm, I'm going to put for. He's kind of just throwing them and seeing which one's going to stick it and be able to not be responded to. Because these, a lot of these objections are mutually contradictory. And uh, what, what you have is that accidents, certain uh, qualities of a thing, become the accident of quantity. It doesn't become the accident of substance, it becomes the accident of quantity. So you have the accident of an accident. If that's what an accident is, unless it's, a, uh, unless it's the dimensive quantity, then it's the accident of the substance, then you have the quality, which is the accident of the accident, or the accident of the quantity. And... And if you understood what I just said, then that is really bad because then you have something in hearing and something in hearing and something in hearing. And it's just you never get a clear idea of what an accident is. Unless you want to redefine quantity as not an accident, then quantity, I guess, is essential. And it just becomes very, very, very weird. And uh, I, I, I was really shocked when I read this argument because this is a pretty uh, sloppy argument from the, uh, from the angelic doctor. So the seventh objection is one may respond that even then, even when the accidents do not cease to be even then the accidents do not cease to be accidents, since they retain their natural aptitude to inherit in a substance. And this argument is brought forth on uh, Bonaventure's commentary on the sentences, and it's uh, and it's picked up by Thomas. So as long as the accidents have their uh, certain aptitude or their certain uh, they go towards. Uh, inhering in a substance, even when they don't inhere in a substance, they can still be called an accident. And uh, this again is just gonna it's gonna beg the question because it's the uh, it's a question of whether this is a contradictional terms. Because if it's a contradictional terms that uh, that something must have this certain state that they're in, then even if they just have the aptitude to that state, then they're they're still not existent. They're still a contradictional terms. Um, <clears throat> yeah, that's just not, not smart. So, uh, Seger of Brabant, which is another, uh, medieval, late medieval commentator on, on the book of causes and on Thomas, uh, 
He writes, Some people argue fallaciously, believing that they can show and demonstrate by natural reason that the first cause can make it come to pass, that the accident can exist without the subject of the, that accident. And he asserts that philosophical conclusions must bow to theological conclusions. So, uh, so what he's arguing is that he's arguing that basically with the relationship of philosophy and theology, with the relation of grace and of nature, of, uh, of revelation and of reason, theology must bat, you know, philosophy must bow to theology. So even when nature shows something to be absurd and shows it to be contradictory, it doesn't really matter. We, if it's a theological conclusion, then it's true. You don't really need to justify it. So while this is true, it again begs the question of whether something's possible. So if for some reason you had a theological conclusion that said something is and something isn't, then you could rightly bring forth the law of non-contradiction and say, well, that's absolutely and utterly absurd for you to say that that thing is and that thing isn't. And it's the same thing with an accident. Is You're saying uh, something is and something isn't. You have a contradiction on terms. Therefore, it, it just can't be. Like your theological conclusion must be wrong. And this goes completely against the Augustinian principle and the traditional principle that there is a reasonableness of theology. Our system is not contradictory. Our system is completely logical and rational and orderly. We serve an orderly and rational God. But what this objection and what these uh, later medieval philosophers are doing is they're just completely just being absurd. They're saying they have been... Uh, they have rightly come to the conclusion that this idea of accidents and hearing by divine power is something which is contradictory and is absurd to reason. And what they are doing is they're just saying, well, they're just throwing their hands up and saying, well, too bad. It's It must be right, even if it just sounds unreasonable. So now with the ninth objection, I'm going to need to drink water. Make sure you drink at least a gallon of water a day. It's healthy for you. Real Chad's drinking a gallon of water a day. So, ninth objection. So you have SCOTUS. Now you have Duns SCOTUS. And he's arguing that an accident has an essence in itself. Therefore, there is no dependency on substance. So this is just a really weird and... I, like, I don't even know what to... <laughs> When I when I read that from Scotus, I didn't even know what to what to think about that. Like that's just extremely weird. What you're having is you're having a an accident which has a substance of its own, but it's inhering in a different substance. And accidents have substances of their own. Like how does then they're a thing of themselves? And how are they even accidents? Do the accidents have accidents of themselves? And do those accidents have substances? It's just a really weird concept to say that accidents are things of their own and they have substances. It's just, no, that's just wrong. So the 10th objection is Scotus again. Scotus argues that a subject does not belong to the essence of an accident because if it did, then a white man would not be a being per accidents. So again, this objection really doesn't make sense. It it doesn't because he's saying that in order for us to predicate something of somebody, then that predication itself must be a thing. Uh, it just doesn't just doesn't make any sense. You're going to fall into that uh, that infinite chasm that I mentioned last time. Is well, does that 
per accidents predication have a per accidents predication of itself and does that have a per accidents predication it it doesn't really make any sense you're just completely destroying what an accident is and you're really just denying that accidents even exist because you're saying that accidents are actual things they're act they have actual substances and how are they inhering in a substance if they already have a substance which they're inhering it is a thing and hearing in a substance as an accident it just doesn't make really any sense so the 11th objection so others are going to argue this way so any entities that can exist without each other are distinct from each other the entities in distinct categories can exist without each other therefore the entities in distinct categories are distinct from each other so this really doesn't have anything to do with separability something can be conditional upon another's existence while being ex while being distinct so accidents can still be conditional uh, upon the existence of a substance without being separable uh, and they can still retain a distinction they can accidents and substances can really can still be really distinct without being uh, really separable because it's a rational distinction that we're making we look at a thing and in our minds we're making a distinction between substance and accident where there really isn't a uh, a separability between the two it can accidents can still be conditional upon a substance existence it's like saying um that uh, i don't even i don't even know uh talking about the relationship between god and uh man so man is really distinct from God. Therefore, man can exist without God. That's, it doesn't follow. Just because two things are distinct from one another in a really or a virtual way does not mean that they are separable. It's, it, it just, this is just equivocating terms and using bad logic. That's what's going on here. And I don't know who's making that argument. Uh, I read it in a secondary source, so I don't know who's first bringing up that argument. But I haven't read that argument in Thomas. So I'm not saying, I'm not imputing this to Thomas because this is a pretty bad argument. So twelfth, uh, the 12th objection is that Thomas argues that God can do many more things than man is able to understand or imagine. So God can do many things than man is able to understand and imagine. Man can understand and imagine uh, a rational distinction between uh, accidents and substance. Therefore, God can separate them and make that rational distinction a real distinction. And this is, again, begging the question. Uh, if it's, it, it's, it's begging the question. It, you, you would have to posit in order for this argument to follow that it's possible in order for it to become actual through this argument. So if, if it is truly impossible, then this argument doesn't follow and so uh, 13th objection, Thomas then argues from Bonaventure that since they, substance and accident, differ by essence, God can, without any inconsistency, separate them through his power. So again, this is positing, this is assuming that accidents have a, um, an essence of their own, and it's really just assuming the, uh, the separability of accidents in order to argue the separability of accidents. It's assuming that, and this, this is really also another bad argument because this, this you don't even really need to have accidents in here by divine power. You can just have them separated and accidents can float on the, their own because now they have an essence of their own. And yeah, it just doesn't, it just doesn't work. It's just not something that's going to work out.
So 14th, Thomas also argues that it can be that that which is owed to a thing according to the notion of its quiddity should not belong to it through the working of divine power. And thus it is clear that to make an accident exist without a substance is not to separate a definition from what it defines. So it's saying it's not going against anything essential, it's just going against the mode of its being. Therefore, it's fine. So uh, a contradiction occurs when we speak of a thing from a property of it. When we look at the definition of its quiddity contained in it is the why of its quiddity. It is thus a separation of the definition of an accident and an accident itself, and it's, again, going to lead to absurdity because the mode of uh, an accident's existence is really contained in the definition itself. You can't separate the mode from the thing because then you're separating the definition of an accident from an accident, and it you just run into some trouble right there, clearly. Um, so that's all I have. Those are all the, this is a little bit longer of a show than normal. Um, bring up some objections in the comments. I may be, uh, I'd love to bring on anybody that's Roman Catholic and listening or anybody that's um, a friend of transubstantiation, so to speak, and anybody who's uh, read on this topic and is, is learned on it. I'm going to be coming out in the next few months with an article written about this. I've been uh, doing a lot of research, bringing together some some strands of of, a, uh, of some early medieval theologians and their writings on this, especially a guy named Dietrich, uh, who's a 13th century uh, guy, and he actually follows um, Albertus Magnus, and he's uh, and he replies directly to Thomas's writings, like he quotes his commentary on the sentences. It's kind of cool, and it's a, a really close source to Thomas, and he learned in the same schools as Thomas, and it's uh, in his work De Accidentibus, um, so that's going to be fun to to see that, and don't forget to visit the visit the blog, check us out, um, make sure you subscribe, and that's all. Have a nice weekend, everybody.